know, again, this ambient sense that there's always stuff going on. We have to, you know, have conversations, prepare our environment, and then talk with our kids about what it's like to feel the jitteriness and the anxiety of putting our device away. Think about what it's going to be like when they have to lose a whole level on a video game because we're telling them to shut it down. <laughs> we have to tell them that we understand what it's like, to, that they're going to see that their friends are all together in a space and they're not there. And that's going to be really devastating to them. And then we have to teach them some emotional regulation tools and we have to teach them consistently. Hello there. Welcome to the Thriving Family Podcast. It's Teresa and Barbara, and we're so happy you're here. We're grateful that you're taking the time to hang out with us in a supportive space to fill your cup and elevate your life. We are here to remind you that you are amazing and you are needed and that you are the rock star of your family and household. Consider us your cheerleaders and all things that bring joy into your life. As your friends, no subject is off limits. We have conversations with amazing guests and experts in all areas, including awkward subjects that not a lot of people talk about. Anything from finding your joy and inspiring possibilities to anti-aging tips and spicing up our sex lives. And relationships, self-love and confidence, especially relating to school age and older kids. If you're at the baby toddler or kindergarten stage, check out the Baby Bumps to Littles podcast. We're your friends and your community because we're on this journey together. It takes a village and we're here to remind you that we're never alone in parenting. This podcast is made possible by amazing listeners like you, and we provide new content on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week. Follow us on Instagram at Thriving Family Podcast for daily reminders and fun ideas. Subscribe so you don't miss a beat. Leave a review and share it with someone who needs to hear it. Let's get started creating the life we want. Kids and technology is such a sensitive topic. I don't know one parent that isn't stressed about it, worried about how much time their kids are on, how to hold boundaries, how much is too much. It's just so many things. And we have the best on with us handling this tricky topic. And it is Doreen Dogden McGee. She is an award-winning author, speaker, and psychologist, and has traveled the globe researching and speaking about how technology affects our brains and bodies, our relationships, and the development of our sense of self. The way she handles this topic just put me at ease and made me look in it a way that I never thought I could. So I hope you get as much out of this as we did. And please share with any and all of your friends because this is so needed and will help every parent out there. So enjoy the amazingness that Doreen is sharing with us today. Doreen, we are just so thrilled to have you on today. You, I mean, for those of you who don't see your face, you're just glowing. You have the best smile. And even, I love when people smile and your eyes even smile. You are just such a, I follow you on Instagram. You bring me joy every day. And I love that your sweetness can cover such a sticky topic like technology. And I swear I have not met a parent in my travels thus far in parenting that doesn't have questions, concerns, or challenges in this area. And as I am like growing with my kids, it's like there's new challenges all the time. So I am really excited to have you cover this topic with your wisdom advice and any help you can give. That would be wonderful. (laughs) Sadly, I don't have any easy answers, but I have some really good complex ideas. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. Well, I appreciate it. And so we're, you know, we're here covering for elementary school age kids and above. Okay. Uh, Trey's and I both have tweens. And so that's a whole other, you know, like a whole upcoming realm as well. But um, I know you are so great. I know you spoke to my friend's school with their kids. And I just think it's, I think it takes a major talent and grace to be able to speak to kids and parents alike about this topic. And I think it's brilliant as well, because you want to be delivering information that they can walk away then talking about as a family. And I love that because usually you hear it for parents and then like for kids. And so if you can just kind of dive in a, how you came into this needed space and then going from there. (laughs) I would love to do that. So around the time that my kids were tweens and middle schoolers, uh, cell phones were just coming to be kind of a normal part of their lives. My kids now are 28 and 30. And at this time, my husband was also working in high tech. And so I was seeing that what we had now, you know, he was already working on things that were going to take us much further. These little flip phones were pretty soon going to be, you know, internet connected. And I began as a psychologist to think about in a world where we know, and and now we even know more uh, 20 years later, that it's interpersonal connection and experiences of the body and the brain together that make for profound learning and healthy psychological development in children. We're going to replace a lot of that embodied connection with chipped devices <laughs> or phones. Um, and at that point, um, I also was fortunate to get to welcome my uh, nephew into our family. And I went to go find some of the toys that had been my kids' favorite and my favorite toys, which were things like the Fisher-Price car garage and the farm. (laughs) And all of those toys suddenly were chipped and no longer did you, you know, have to just take the cow and make a moo sound, uh, but you put it in a little space where then the computer chip made a moo sound. (laughs) And I began to think about the disruptive power that this was going to have. It was going to be handy for parents because we are tired and overwhelmed. And anytime we can buy a little bit of time of our kids having some, you know, entertainment without us needing to be right there. And that was going to come with a cost. And so I just began to write to these toy companies and write to the creators of educational software and ask them to help me understand what they were doing to prepare families for moderation. You know, that these things, we don't tend to be great with moderation in our country. Around the same time, I was, uh, you know, getting pretty sad about where things were going and had a day where I took out all my old life magazines and thought I'll just sort of indulge in nostalgia. And I began realizing right away that, you know, in the right after World War II, uh, we see this preponderance in these magazines. The only ads that exist in them are for cigarettes. And oftentimes it's doctors promoting the safest cigarette brand for, you know, throat scratch or convenience foods. Like, you know, here's this glass of tang is better for you than a glass of orange juice. And, And we see in our culture over and over things that are meant to be sort of convenient and fun those things were meant to be side dishes. Suddenly they became the main dishes in America home, American homes. And we see, you know, high cholesterol for the first time. We see issues around diabetes and sugar that we had never seen before. And I began thinking about how that could easily happen with technology. These things that were meant to be sort of accompaniments to daily life were becoming the main part of daily life. And I couldn't get people to respond about how they were going to teach and help encourage moderation. And so I just began to do a bunch of research and 
started by talking at a couple of schools and that grew and grew and grew. And then I was traveling everywhere to talk and couldn't keep up with that kind of a schedule. So that's when then I got dug in deep and did the research for the book. And we now know that the average American over the age of 12 spends 10 and a half hours a day with screens. And if we were spending that kind of time with any other thing, we would be talking about it a lot. And we're not. And we know the research has advanced now. We know a lot of the things that I was wondering about 20 years ago, we have a lot of data about now. Even up to two years ago, we knew there was a correlation effect between social media use and anxiety and depression, relational aggression, and what the research calls fear of missing out. When I talk to kids and young adults, um, what that actually translates into is sort of this ambient sense that there is always something going on out in the world and that they can't keep tabs on all of it, that it could be relevant to them. It could even be about them in the case of bullying and they can't keep up. Now in the last two years, we know that not only has social media use trended down and we now have kids as young as seven being pretty active on social media. And I should say social media now includes video gaming that is connected where people are talking to each other, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest, all those. Uh, but we know there's a now research is really clear that there's a causal effect, that it isn't just correlational that we become depressed and anxious when we use these apps. And, and the researchers coded 30 minutes of social media use as excessive social media use. And we know that the average user uses a lot more than that. And we've got younger yeah. and younger kids who have developing brains and it's now impacting the wiring of the brain. It's so much. And it's like this slow trickle. It's like you introduce it and then it, before you know it. And I think a lot of parents are like, well, we did this now. And I'm like, no, it's not too late. You can still implement things. Even if you're in a bad spiral, even if you didn't sign a contract with your kid when they got their cell phone, whatever, there's so many things you can do. And I don't want parents to feel stuck or scared. And I feel like it has put us in a position because of the lack of people like you in our life. Cause we just don't know what to do. So we don't do anything and we just fear it. And then it just persists. And I like that you bring up that, um, it affects our brain, our body and our relationships. Cause I feel like when it hits, at least for all those places for me, I'm like, Nope, that is serious. Like have to do something about it. And it's also one of those topics for parents where what's okay in our household is not okay. in others, like, it's a very touchy topic. I know I've talked to a lot of it, my friends about it, like good friends, and they might have a different plan in place or what's okay in their house. And because it's not the same as mine, they get all like sensitive about it. And so it, I just, I love handling this. And my friend, Jennifer, who's, whose school you went to, she was just like, oh my gosh, what she brought up to the kids to wake them up. Can you touch on a couple of those things? Because yeah. I think that is not talked about enough for the conversation to the kids themselves. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is that we tend to, like you're saying, we've habituated to really heavy amounts of technology use and habits are really hard to break. <laughs> it would you know, have been much healthier if we could have set norms in place that said, you know, we're going to be aware of the kind of content we're exposed to and the speed at which it's delivered to us and the location of where we take our phones and, you know, and then set norms around all of that, but we haven't. And so we're in these habit places. So the thing that I think is the most important for families to know and for kids to understand is that once we have a habit in place, once we're used to accessing this device for our entertainment, education, connection, 
we're going to have to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable sometimes in changing our habits. Sometimes we're going to have to be bored and we're going to have to learn to celebrate that. And if all we do is say we have to use our phones less or all we say to our kids is, you know, you better stop, get off that device. Um, but we don't prepare our environment for success. We will never be able to break those habits. And the thing that I always am wanting to try to tell kids, first of all, I always start every talk I give to anyone under the age of 30 uh, by literally getting on my knees and asking for their forgiveness. Because I feel like my generation has handed them this just beautiful thing. And then we've done nothing but talk smack about them. And we talk smack about them and criticize them about their use. All the while we're on our phones, you know, doing this. I recently took to a, a late elementary, a big large group of late elementary age kids in Atlanta, Georgia. And the last question was a little fourth grader in the front raised her hand and said, could you tell my mom this stuff? Cause she's always on her phone. Yep. There you have it. Yeah. So the thing I'm wanting to talk with kids about is that changing this habit and it doesn't have to be, you give it up for days on end learning to take breaks, learning to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable, growing a tolerance of boredom will help you not only in your own sense of feeling okay. And then I want to also teach them that part of what happens in with their device use is that it creates big feelings in them. You know, they see something either really exciting and it creates this excitement or they see something kind of scary or something that they like, oh, I probably shouldn't have accessed that, but it's kind of exciting. <laughs> and rather than being able to set the device down and go like, okay, now my body and mind are thinking and feeling all these things and I can't sort of focus on anything. What do I need to do to come back to center? We just use our technology more, which creates more and more feelings. And usually kids can relate to that. They go like, oh yeah, I feel that. And so helping them see that small breaks where they can add in some embodied things, not only will help them feel better in their bodies, but it will help them feel more successful in every area of their lives. It will make them a more centered and capable artist. It will make them a better basketball player. It will make them a better friend. It will enable them to feel more calm. So those are the, and, and usually young folks are desperate for that kind of message. Like that, oh, there's a way and just set my phone down. And the thing I do with every group I meet with, and again, under the age of 30, is the last 10 minutes of my time with them, no matter how much time I have, is a 10 minute boredom practice that we do together. I invite them and it's a meditation and breathing and time of just being together. And I never tell teachers or administration ahead of time because they will freak out, but the kids love it. They love it. They come up afterwards and say, thank you. You know, cause we do, we're just so as parents we're again, we're frazzled, we're exhausted. I have so much empathy. This is the most impossible time to parent and it is the most impossible time to grow. Um, but if we can get in there with them and teach them and get buy-in and make it seem exciting and interesting, they are so ready. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm so glad that that resonates with kids. So since we don't have you in our living rooms talking, to, I mean, this helps, yeah. but at, what would your advice be then to, for us parents to have the conversation with our kids and to start implementing those breaks, like how often they should be, or what, what are some, a couple of things we could do? Yeah. So the first thing I always encourage parents to do is to have non-shaming conversations. That's is to commit to non-shaming and also commit to owning their own issues with their devices because we are hypocrites. <laughs> And it's just like anything else if we tell our kids not to do, but we're doing it. 
it just, it, we don't have any credibility. So beginning to have these non-shaming times where we as a family catch ourselves, maybe it's when mom or dad is, you know, thick into work and they're 30 minutes of, of work and they're just distracted. Maybe they have the insight to stop and kind of go to the whole family. Like, whoa, y'all, I'm feeling super tense. I'm feeling like, like I can't focus. I it just like, could we all just take a one minute breathing break, or I'm going to put on the craziest song and let's all just dance for a second. Like literally start observing as a family, how we feel when we don't take breaks. That's the first part. Because then if you can, if you can help your kids catch in their own minds and bodies, like, oh yeah, sometimes this doesn't feel great. That's our best, our best hope. And the research tells us that we are, we're at a place now with technology where we can't just expect to cold turkey stop something. We can't, we have to number one, get buy-in. If our kids aren't invested in wanting to change the habit, they won't change it. They -hmm. have access and easy access to devices now all day at school all day at home. They never, ever, ever have to be bored. They can always get on YouTube on that school Chromebook. They know how. (laughs) It isn't anymore this idea of like, how can we teach them to, you know, in my bathroom, I hated my bathroom when we moved into this house. And rather than redo it, I just decided that's going to be our interactive room. And you can just write with Sharpies all over the walls. So literally it's covered floor to ceiling and people's names and things. So having homes where the exciting thing isn't coming together to watch a game or watch a show or the exciting thing is coming together. And then the third thing is teaching our kids and taking seriously the fact that anymore, it is a real act of resistance to put this down. And they're going to have big feelings just like we do to let it go because they know, again, this ambient sense that there's always stuff going on. So the third thing we have to do, so we have to you know, have conversations, prepare our environment, And then talk with our kids about what it's like to feel the jitteriness and the anxiety of putting our device away of what it's, we have to be empathic about what it's going to be like when they have to lose a whole level on a video game because we're telling them to shut it down. (laughs) We have to tell them that we understand what it's like to be able, that they're going to see that their friends are all together in a space and they're not there. And that's going to be really devastating to them. And then we have to teach them some emotional regulation tools and we have to teach them consistently. We can't just say, we're going to, you know, do this once and then you're going to be able to put your phone down. No, we're going to practice as a family. We're going to put our phone down. We're going to take three deep cleansing breaths in through our nose, out through our mouth, in through our nose, and literally do it together. And then I think the fourth thing is deliberately practicing these pauses there's we the the main region of the brain that we know that is impacted by heavy technology use which most of us now are heavy technology users is the prefrontal cortex and it is the only region of the brain that has access to all other parts it it touches every other region and it's the ceo of the brain it's all it's responsible for all executive functioning and we know that the brain only wires together where it fires together so the brain only um, expresses competency and proficiency what to what we expose it to, you know, we practice makes proficient. <laughs> and right now we are practicing at all times being flooded with very fast moving, overwhelming stimulation from our visual senses and our audible senses with our devices. And this form of stimulation misses the prefrontal cortex, which means there's less stimulation of the prefrontal cortex, which means there's less wiring, which means we have less ability to be focused. So it isn't just that we feel like we can't focus anymore. It's that we have less wiring in the region of our brain. 
because mostly we distract ourselves and have this fast moving content. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we have less focus. We have less ability to what is called attuned communication, which means we can sort of and communicate well, rather than just having a tantrum. We have less ability to stop behaviors. So, so the prefrontal cortex is responsible for if we're doing something and we kind of go like, oh, this maybe isn't a good idea to stop it, which is what kids need, right? So we literally have less wiring in those regions now. The really cool information is that neuroplasticity is real. So where when the brain prunes off a part because it hasn't been stimulated, we can stimulate the brain. We can offer the brain opportunities to have that experience and create wiring. And the experience that we mostly need to stimulate our brains with now is boredom. Literally doing nothing. The Dutch have a word, it's it's Nixon, N-I-K-S-E-N, and it's roughly translated to do nothing deliciously. That, you know, stillness, quiet, boredom, meditation, rhythmic exercise that gets you in a zone, those are things that actually create firing in the prefrontal cortex. If you think about it, we have no opportunities for that anymore. You know, it used to be in a car ride, you just were in the car and you were just looking around. <laughs> and at a red light, you were looking around, or it used to be at, you know, at midnight, all TV programming went off and it didn't come back on till 6 a.m. Now we have these little devices that go in the car with us, in the bathroom with us, it, you know, <laughs> and we never have to just be still and bored with ourselves. But we can develop the ability to do that. It's just, it has to be intentional now. And we have to have buy-in, which is so challenging and hard. Right. For a sustained four to six months, 10 minutes a day of one of those exercise practices that puts you in a zone, mindfulness, meditation, contemplative prayer. Those three things have all been researched in four to six months, 10 minutes a day doubles the gray matter in the region, in the prefrontal cortex, which is the power of the brain. And now we know more recently that it doubles the myelinization, which is the efficiency of the brain. So what I'm beginning to experiment with now is could 10 minutes a day of boredom do that? Could 10 minutes a day of doing nothing deliciously, that doesn't mean doing a meditation on a device <laughs> for 10 minutes, because that's digital, don't, you know, that's digital that's stimulation, but it could mean, you know, things like non-cognitive based fidgety toys, like those shape blocks, 10 minutes of just playing with those or a bowl of kinetic sand. Or even a bowl, you know, it doesn't have to cost anything. That's always my thing. It needs to be accessible to everyone. Um, A bowl of water that you just have some measuring cups and funnels and you're just sort of, you know, experimenting with it or feeling that it could be 10 minutes of watching the clouds and see what you can see in the shapes. Most folks have a really hard time doing 10 minutes of that. So I'm always encouraging folks to start with three minutes, start with three minutes. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean, um, you know, three minutes of going for a walk and listening to a podcast. It, it means three minutes of doing really literally nothing <laughs> because that's what forces the brain to create that wiring. You know, if, if you look at in my talks, I, I always show these three different um, clips of the beginning of Sesame Street. And one is from the early days and each sustained shot, you know, the camera doesn't move off of what it's looking at in those early days for 13 seconds. That means that the kids would sit there and they'd go like, oh, I'm watching that for 13 seconds. Well, now that feels like an eternity, right? right. Um, you know, 
and, and if you watch the beginning of Sesame Street now, and I love Sesame Street, I love technology, um, but it, there is never a sustained shot. There's something always moving into the shot. If there is stillness in here, the logo is moving down here. Then something else builds in. Then there's a fade. We just are not used to one thing at a time anymore. And mm -hmm. that actually wires our brain for, we become really good at what technologists call task switching. So one of the big benefits of using technology is it makes us really good task switchers, which is really, if you look at the description of, of task switching, it is basically the language of distraction. It's the language of multitasking. And there's no research, zero, that shows that multitasking improves outcomes, improves the long-term coding of information. It's like saying we become really good smokers if we smoke a lot. You know, we right. become really good distractors if we use our technology a lot. Right. right. <laughs> which diminishes our ability to focus, which diminishes our sense of well-being at the end of the day. Sorry to interrupt this amazing episode with Dr. Doreen. We really received so much goodness from this episode, and I hope you really have enjoyed it so far. This is not the end. It's only part one. Be sure to subscribe so that you're notified when part two drops. But in the meantime, please share with anyone you think would benefit because this sensitive topic on kids and technology really impacts every family. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you again for joining us today. We know how many other things you could be doing and it means the world to us that you're here. We hope you always get something valuable from our podcast and that you feel supported. If you have a question for us about our content or anything else, please leave it in your review of this podcast, or you can send us an email or DM us on Instagram. We're here for you. So let us know what topics would be helpful and that you're interested in. You can join our membership by clicking on the link in the show notes. You are never alone in parenting and we're here to support you at every stage. If you know anyone that would be inspired or supported by this podcast, please share it with them. We provide content every week, so please subscribe wherever you're listening from. If you leave a review, you'll have the opportunity to win a gift that we absolutely love. We're so excited about this giveaway. We only introduce brands to our community that align with our values. And Barbara and I both love the Now Tone Therapy System. This yoga for your mind is one of the most simple ways to relax, relieve stress and anxiety. The creators recommend listening twice a day for only three minutes to receive these benefits or to listen as often as you like. And if you buy them, there's a risk-free three-month trial period. What we like best about Now Tone Therapy System is that it's something everyone can make time for. My family likes to listen first thing in the morning and at the end of each day. It's the easiest and most relaxing path to mindfulness daily. We'll link to this amazing product in the show notes below. Thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you next time.